Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley, and welcome to Pig Progress's The Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the producers around the world. In this episode, I wanted to do something different. It's going to be a solo podcast with myself, Dr. Casey Bradley, and I'm going to talk about my career with byproducts. We've had some great episodes with Philip, Casey, David, and Nick talking about milk products and distillers, but I thought I would share some insights for my career. So stay tuned. Well, I think to get this conversation started right with byproducts, I think you need to go back and understand my career. And we're going to go back to Callback Feeds when I first started as a PhD nutritionist. Callback Feeds was very unique. It was a regional feed company, still is, and, and growing. They're an integrated swine producer and an integrated poultry producer. So I had the opportunity to work in a multi-species environment and a feed mill that only produced feed for internal animals, but also for customers' rations. So I had the opportunity to make feeds for complete feeds, premixes, base mixes, and formulate with different premixes in other mills. So not only our internal mills, but our customer mills as well. But within that opportunity in Kolmbach, um, being a multi-species mill, we had an opportunity to use a lot of different ingredients. And so I had cereals, I had bakery products, I had all kinds of milk products, and I fell in love with different cheese products at the time. We had our typical wheat mids, soy holes, and even peanut holes and meat and bone meal. But what was also really unique in my career there was that I not only fed dry feeds to pigs, but we had a liquid feeding operation at the time, and I had a customer who utilized some liquid feeds. And so I got to learn about things like the flushing of tanks from a mayonnaise production or ketchup for one day. So depending on the day and what product they were making out of this plant, depended on what byproduct I had to deliver to my pigs. And so it was really complicated to optimize nutrition in those types of environments. But what was great is I had all sorts of ingredients to use. And then after Callback Feeds, I transitioned more on the feed additive allied industry side. And I got to start working out in the Midwest a little bit more versus Ohio. And in the Midwest, corn, soybean meal, and distillers were primarily the ingredients that we used. Sometimes you would see some wheat mids and soy holes in diets, but there was really not much more opportunity or byproduct ingredients coming in. What was interesting, though, was working with producers on the Indiana side, more the western side, as the further I moved west, corn hominy. So hominy byproduct of corn came into play. And so I got exposed to that type of ingredient as well. And then once I worked with AB Vista, I not only got to work with producers in the Midwest and then on the east coast of the U.S., but in Canada. And we probably don't see them as main ingredients, but in Canada, lots of other ingredients came into play. Canola, peas, barley, for instance, and then going globally to learn about all the different products used globally was really a great opportunity. But really with AB Vista, 
I really had to hone in on understanding the variation in products, right? And so working through their NIR program and helping develop different quality assurance programs with my producers, I really understood the quite the variation from source to source, region to region, and then even maybe batch to batch. And that could be because of processing conditions, sourcing of the raw ingredients. Um, when we're talking about food byproducts, it could be depending on what product they're making that week. And so really opened my eyes about the variation. And it was really a great opportunity to take the understanding of different feed ingredients in that variation from having to send samples out and have wet chemistry done and maybe knowing in a week or two what that variation would be and the product would be gone by then to really honing in and working with customers on developing NIR programs and really helping them understand that variation as those ingredients came into their mills. So incredible opportunity for me to learn that. And while at AB Vista, I joined the National Animal Nutrition Program on the Feed Composition Committee, and I served on that for five years. And really, our goal was to develop a living database of different feed ingredients versus having a static holy grail of the NRCs, for instance, and using that in our formulations we wanted to create living. You could also filter down by your region or the type of byproduct you had and really understand that. And it was a really great opportunity to really understand variation in all ingredients and create a resource available for the industry to use. And you'll see as the new NRCs are coming out that they may have some select feed ingredients published in those, but they're going to reference you to go to this National Animal Nutrition Program's database for more of a living. So it's still growing. It's ever-changing. And I think that was the key takeaways working through this process, you know, for at Colmac and understanding variation there on our end ingredients, and then moving into AB Vista and helping develop not only a benchtop NAR, but a handheld NIR device to where the the mills could use them at the receiving bin to maybe understand those ingredients. And then, of course, serving on that national committee, developing a living database for everyone to have access to. So really kind of a unique experience as I understand quality and variation in feedstuffs. So what does that mean for formulation considerations? And I, I think one of the things I'm going to go back to is it's not just as simple to understand the cost of this. And if you go back to Nick's conversation that we had Working with Nick on that, and he talked about the corn bases, distillers to the corn bases, and it's really great when it's under the value of corn. But when it's over, it becomes complex of how we want to formulate with distillers, for instance, in our diets. And one of the real things that you look at when it comes to uh, byproducts that would have some protein value is not only understanding the dynamics of your raw materials, right? Your micro ingredients that you're going to use, but those micro ingredients or those synthetic amino acid markets. And when we even look at it, today's conditions is it's maybe not even price of those synthetic amino acids. It's can I get those in? And I had the same situation early in my career back at Colmbeck when it came to tryptophan. So I really had to develop some different models when it came to nutrition from a tryptophan perspective, to understand 
not how to use tryptophan in my diets, but when should my purchasing department buy tryptophan? What was a great buy and what was not a great buy? And so we would buy ahead or we would hold off and not buy depending on that model I put together. So really, that's just a good example I had early in my career understanding those dynamics. And so when you start formulating with byproducts and you start looking at, all right, is it low in energy? So what's the dynamics of my energy market? As we all know, the energy market is really high today. Fat costs are really high. So if I want to optimize my feed efficiency, I have to optimize or maintain my energy. And so some of these more fibrous byproducts that come in plays into that. So it may not just be that corn basis that we talked about, but it's really how I want to formulate. What's my barn space like? Am I long or short on barns? What's my days on feed? And understanding that feed efficiency as well. So there's a lot that we have to play into that that's just not about the nutrient profile of that ingredient and if we can use it. But how does that play into the different markets? The amino acid market, for instance, the fat market, and then the hog market. Are we long or short on space? Are we going to sell light or heavy pigs? And so there's a lot that goes into considerations and formulation when using different byproducts. And the other thing, you know, it was the chemical analysis. We get stuck on that or even NAR. And I have really been diving into understanding that some of the stuff that we were doing at AB Vista with reactive lysine, for instance, and evaluating that. So processing conditions, the burnt products would have less digestibility. Our chemical analysis could come back and say, yeah, it's the same lysine or it's the same starch content. But I think we still all need to dive into understanding that beyond just those chemical analysis and understanding digestibility. And we're really limited on that. That's mostly kept to the university perspectives to look at some of that. But if we're going to consider using more byproducts into our diets, or as you've been hearing me say opportunity ingredients, because I would rather prefer to use that term because you know, they could bring real value to our nutrition programs and be surprising at times. But we also need to understand not just the chemical analysis, but what, how is it going to impact our animals? And I can even use that not just from a digestibility perspective, but we can talk about bridging in our bins. We can talk about flowability. We can talk about pelleting conditions. And all that plays in using these different products. Can we pellet it if we pellet feed? Will it flow out of our bins? That is something else I had to learn the hard way when I was at Kalmbach. I love these cheese products. It was a great buy, and this other lactose product was a great buy. But when we talked about the hydroscopic principles of these feed ingredients that I was looking at, I created a disaster for my truck driver unloading the base mix for my customer to use these products. I saved my customer considerable amount of money at the time by changing these ingredients up, right? But I didn't help it get off the truck very well. And it had issues even in the mill flowing. The pigs loved it and performed great. But we had to alter our formulas because of the flowability. And so we don't think about that a lot. It looks great on paper. The pigs seem to be performing well. But when you get called in your boss's office 
because the truck driver has been spending two hours to try to get this nine ton of base mix off the truck. It's not very fun. And I can also say the same thing, managing feed bands on the farm and that flow ability. I can't tell you how many times that I have taken long PVC pipes and poked down my feed because it just didn't flow out of the bin. Or, you know, at the time, even I remembered, you know, working at the U of A, we got our wheat mids in as pellets. And so the sows were really great at sorting those pellets of wheat mids out. So we wanted to use that byproduct, but the sows did not want to eat the byproduct based on the form and the ability to sort that. So there's a lots of things that go in beyond the chemical analysis or the nutrient profiles of these ingredients. As from 2022, Pick Progress is proud to be teaming up with the Real P3 podcast. Professionals from around the globe already knew how to find Pick Progress as a reliable source of global and exclusive pig information through our website, newsletter, magazine, social media, and webinars. And now, in its 38th year of existence, there is no escaping. Your favorite pig media is prominently present in audio form as well. Find out more to access all podcast episodes and register for a free newsletter through www.pigprogress.net. As many of you know, also in my career, I love enzymes, right? I have a passion for them. I am really excited about what enzymes can do for us. There's so many enzymes already through metabolism that's used, and then how can we enhance that, right? And when we think about some of these byproducts that we bring in, especially around the cereals and the bakery products, we have to also realize that they have been exposed to enzymatic or yeast treatments. So yeast and flour production, right? For instance, to bread rising. And so are they already digested enough? And I think, you know, enzymes can really also, though, help us optimize some of these higher fibrous ingredients. And so we look at some of these different things like wheat mids and some of these other byproducts, and they are high in phytase. So phytase with some of these byproducts give you even more of an opportunity to use phytase in your diets, for instance, or even xylanases and even proteases. So where does that balance? What type of byproduct? What type of digestibility concerns do I have? And how do I optimize enzymes around that? The other thing to kind of keep in mind when we talk about this, and, and we can go into my career a little bit, is mill storage and handling. Do we have enough bulk bins? So I work with a lot of producers on the macro side. They have their corn, they have their soybean meal bin, they have their distiller's bin, and they may have one other bulk bin. And so based on the prices, does that have, let's say, wheat mids or soy holes do we want to bring in? And we have to decide what that bin is. And some producers may just have that distiller's bin and not an extra micro bin, as I call it. Because byproducts usually aren't cost effective when we have to bag them in hand at them. We also have to think of turnover for a product. Now, this story has nothing to do with byproducts, but it was a specialized soybean meal product. And I'm a big fan of Hamlet's HP 300 and these specialized soybean meal products for nursery diets. When I was at Colmack, Hamlet came into the U.S. and built a plant in Finley, Ohio, which was 30 minutes from our plant. I did a lot of research on HP 300, both at the University of Arkansas 
And then um, looking at different soy products and stuff from a, a Kalmbach Fee Nutrition Research Program. And we had a conversation with the salesman. They really thought it would be advantageous if we put a bulk bin in for HP 300s into our mills and used it that. But I had to explain to them that HP 300s a great product, but I'm primarily only using it in my first couple rations. And then when I think of a multi-species bin, I can't justify taking a macro bin for one ingredient for two nursery diets when I feed chickens, cattle, horses, you name it, through the same plant. And so that would have been great. It would have saved us a lot of money. It would have been really easy to, to have a truck backhaul it back into the mill and bring it. But really, ultimately, in that case, I had to stay with bag products for that. And so that was have to do turnover. Well, it may be a lot easier for me to turn over six ton of HP 300 in a week versus a full bin of 24 ton, for instance. And how, you know, quality is that? And how fast are you going through that? So there's a lot that has to go into that process as well. The other formulation considerations to kind of consider when using byproducts is especially if you work in a multi-species versus a single-species mill. So one of the main things around BSE and food safety that we had to worry about is we could only use porcine meat and bone meal. We couldn't bring in ruminant meat and bone meal with our certifications and the fact that we didn't want to have that in there for the risk of BSE into our cattle feeds. And so PED changed that as well. We start looking at even ASF threats, and those porcine products that we once loved and utilized and have really great value start creating other hazards in our mill for the safety of our animals, of and our customers' animals. And it's really interesting on, we can use another example. We had strict flushing and sequencing requirements in our mills for if we manufactured swine feed and then we needed to make a sheep feed, we had to do a massive clean-out, massive flushing, and we had to change our sequencing to be able to make a swine nursery diet on the same day that we made a sheep feed because copper is very toxic to sheep. And so when you bring some of this stuff in, you also have to consider that, right? Peanut holes were a great buy, by the way. And they were great at making, like, a phenomenal pellet, but we can use an example. They were high in microtoxins. So that great buy, that cheap way of improving our PDI, our pelleting durability index, was not always the best way to do that. So it limited us on being able to use that, even though it had great features. And so we have to think about that as well. Is this byproduct going to be great? The nutrient profile is great. But what's the microtoxins? What's that hazard that I feed to my animals? And obviously, there are microtoxin binders that we can use, but what's that safety level, right? And understanding that dynamics. And so it is a lot more complex than this is my lysine, this is my calcium, this is my phosphorus value, this is the price, and formulating my diet based on that. There's a lot of complexities that go into nutrition when it comes to what is not a byproduct or what, you know, just everyday ingredients. 
So a lot of people like to sell us and think it's just as easy just to implement something new, but there's a lot of challenges. It comes from bulk space. It comes to sequencing. It comes to turnover rates. It comes to digestibility. It comes to what's our HACCP programs and our hazards, what's our limits that we're willing to consider on different things. A lot of it goes in. It's not just a simple process of buy my product, Casey. It's really understanding how can we utilize this? What's the true value? And you noticed I called them opportunity ingredients and not byproducts because I like to consider them opportunities because if you really can overcome just about any obstacle you have in your mill, if the value is right. And so I go back to a very interesting point. You heard me talk about liquid feeding. So the most strangest byproduct ingredient that I had to formulate with in my career was what I'm going to call pond scum. So it was a wastewater after the flushing of a milk plant or an ice cream plant. And so the pond top, they'd get a lot of whey that would come from that flushing, right? Sitting on top of the pond along with the microbial protein. So yes, we had this chemically analyzed I had to do some dry matter conversion, right, um, leaning on the dairy folks. But as I found out from my producer, I had to say, well, the value of this ingredient is you can pay for its transportation to your farm, but that's probably all I would pay for it. So, yes, I can say I have formulated it with pond scum and swine diets and can find value. So, yes, you can overcome any obstacle for the right value. But let's switch gears a little bit when we talk about byproducts, right? So there's tons of them that we use within our nutrition programs. But a lot of times we don't talk about the sustainability. This is part of the story that I don't think we share enough with our consumers. And it's not just the swine industry, it's also the ruminants. I think we need to tell our audience that we just can't get rid of livestock. We just can't get rid of meat protein because they ultimately consume a lot of our food waste. We talk about food waste being a problem downstream, but I don't think the human consumer understands the amount of food waste that we have in the manufacturing of different products and how livestock really impacts that. When we talk about carbon neutrality, we don't like to talk about our beloved pets, but we even have off-label dog food and cat food and I know many producers that take advantage of that, and that's really high-quality feed ingredients. As a kid growing up, my favorite day was we lived near Kellogg's, and we lived near candy manufacturing. So we'd get buckets of cereal coming in, off-label cereal. But the best day ever was when it was the candy bar days. And yes, they were not suitable for human consumption, but little Casey would sneak out and grab a couple candy bars and probably eat too much chocolate and make herself sick. But that was some of the fun days that you can hear of the old-time swine industry of us talking about. And if you remember Scott McKenzie's episode, we talked about that story as well. And so those were some of the, the byproducts that people don't realize that we can utilize for pigs. And that is a huge sustainability story that I just don't think we share enough on. And when we look at carbon neutrality, animals are part of the solution, not necessarily part of the problem. And then, you know, kind of what's the next frontier? 
right? Where are we going with byproducts? What's next? And I think the biggest thing making waves is kind of two things. So insects, there's all this talk, right? And I was in my friend's plants. He's making some chicken treats and he had fly larva there, black soldier fly larva, and he just ate it. And he, he's like, it tastes like roasted chicken. And I'm like, it was a high quality ingredient, really beautiful, right? And I hear some of these different insects being used for oils to produce for human use products, pharmaceuticals and different things. But interesting thing coming out of this as we learn to grow insects is that we just assumed they could eat our garbage. But reality is garbage in is garbage out and they are a byproduct of what we feed them. And so as we look at insects and we use different components for different stuff, that's a whole new frontier of if we take the word byproduct out and put opportunity ingredients. I'm really excited to learn what we can do with insects. The other thing is, is I have to give a shout out to my friends at Arbiome. They produce a yeast, Torella yeast product from wood. And I've been helping them and, and keeping it up to date with Ricardo Ekme a lot on this. We were classmates and, and we stay in touch. And I love his idea of sustainability. When we talk about that story, he can create a food protein from wood, right? So our paper plants, um, it's just creating the belief that we can integrate into different industries and really enhance that sustainability story. So that is one product I would really have you look at was, you know, yeast byproducts from that industry. And it really excites me what they're doing and what the future holds for some of those products as well. The other thing I want to bring up is, is obviously we do play a huge component in the human food waste. But one of the things I wanted to do before COVID happened was I was talking to one of my son's teachers at the time, and she was really concerned about all the food that they threw away. And my mom also worked at the school for years and told me about all the food that they throw away. And the fact that you know, they have to put it on the plate to meet the, the USDA federal guidelines, for instance, right? The kids don't want to eat it, so they just throw it away. Lots of great food. But you know, a lot of our concerns, and we have have a lot of state laws or even county laws that do not allow for us to feed human food waste to animals, raw form, right? But something I worked on and I priced it out wasn't very expensive at all. And I wanted to create this project and this research project around it. So I investigated what a cost of a food dehydrator the school will need based on its waste. I figured out how I could use solar panels to power it. And then I talked to a local producer who does research. I'm like, would you be interested in doing an experiment with students to learn about nutrition and how food waste could play in? And we were all for it. But unfortunately, COVID hit and it was a project that never got off the ground. But pricing that out, looking at that and taking some of that concern over food safety, right? And we have concern over PAD, ASF as food being an entry point for that. Are there processing ways? Can we be creative in a micro environment to utilize our food waste differently and further that conversation? So those are some of the next frontiers. I think from a nutrition standpoint, from a next frontier, 
is really how we implement inline NIR a lot more so we can on the fly really see every meal utilizing a tool like that. So every batch to batch, we can optimize nutrition. But I think when we look at enzymes, I think the next frontier from our standard nutrient profile and our digestibility components, I think based on the ingredients and the fiber components of those ingredients, we may have a system in to say, okay, I'm going to use this ingredient. I've met this soluble fiber or insoluble fiber level. Now, because of that, I need to pull in these three enzymes. And so I see that happening. You could say the same thing for probiotics who have the ability to produce enzymes. And so based on those proportions of ingredients in our diets or nutrient profiles of those ingredients in our diets, I think we're eventually going to get to the point to where we optimize what types of enzymes or feed additives we use and at what levels. We're not there yet, but as I said, it's a complexity of itself utilizing ingredients and not just beyond what it looks like on paper, but application of that, right? But I think when we start really considering the next frontier of nutrition and and feed additives, is I'm not sure we're going to reinvent new feed enzymes. We obviously know from a digestibility and what type of nutrients we have and bonds that we have in our diets, which ones we can use today from a nutrient um, advantage. And then, but the question is, is how do we optimize that? How do we synergize different enzymes and how do we formulate on that? And so that's to me the next frontier of utilizing feed additives, enzymes into formulation with byproducts or just even ingredients. And so I thought you would hopefully enjoy this conversation. I know it was just some of my thoughts, but that's kind of some of the things that have happened throughout my career and my experiences as we talk about bio products and consider that. So if you're a producer looking at that, I hopefully gave you some insights of what goes through my mind in, in picking those and then working with your nutritionist to kind of optimize your rations around that. But also if you're in the industry as nutritionists and understanding how the decision-making goes into play when considering different ingredients, that we also have to think about everything that goes into the role of byproducts. And so, as always, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me.